Welcome to the Tribe Agile Podcast, a forum for agile enthusiasts and freelancers. I'm your host, D. Ray Freeman, Managing Director of Tribe and Project Lead with Adaptivate here in Los Angeles, California. No matter where you are in the world, the agile market is booming. Not only are there lots of great jobs available, but there's a world of opportunities for people who want to stay independent. Our goal is to introduce you to the people who are making Agile work for them, to grow small businesses, or to launch their own Agile coaching and training companies. Want to learn how to make Agile work for you? Then stick with us for today's episode of the Tribe Agile Podcast. Agile coaches are some of the most interesting people in the world, but you may never know it. They typically exist behind the scenes. They have unheard of experiences, and still they share a common bond for transforming the lives of others. In today's Tribe Member Spotlight, I want to introduce you to Aaron Thornton. Aaron is an Agile Transformation Coach from Toronto, Canada. He's one of those unique people that I'm so glad I got a chance to meet. First of all, he knows his stuff. He served Canada's financial services market for nearly two decades. He's got hands-on experience guiding agile teams, and he's also a world traveler. In fact, Aaron has been to some of the most off-the-grid places you can imagine. I'm so glad that he joined us to share a glimpse of his life with us. Now today, Aaron helps organizations realize new ways of working using agile thinking, frameworks, and techniques. Aaron, welcome to the Tribe Agile Podcast. Thanks for having me, Ray. All right, let's get right to it. So tell me, you've been in this for a while. How long have you actually been in the business of change? I would say probably since about the late 90s. I got involved in project work through, you know, starting off as a business analyst and working my way up into project management and program management. And and one thing that I discovered very early on, um, I had a great mentor. And even as the business analyst, understanding the implications of change, that's when it was sort of seeded with me. Mm -hmm. So throughout my experience, and then obviously moving into programs, et cetera, you start to understand the scope of change and, you know, it starts to broaden and expand. And I would say it really, really hit me probably around 10 when I was trying to introduce agility into some of the financial institutions in Canada. I was a little ahead of the game there. So as you can imagine, there was a little bit of pushback, definitely some resistance. And that's when I truly understood what like the scope of change can be and what would be required to do something like shifting from a waterfall to an agile mindset. Great stuff, man. Now, Aaron, you've spent quite a few years working with the Royal Bank of Canada, RBC, and you worked in quite a few roles while you were there. 
Can you tell us a bit about your journey at RBC? It started in high school. I was a dishwasher at a restaurant and you know nothing against the job. And you know one of the tasks was tossing out the garbage at the end of the night. And I was probably about oh, I don't know, 5'5", five, five, 130 pounds. I was pretty pretty small guy and some of these bags were massive. And you'd have to haul them in. And I'll never forget the day that I went to haul it over and my hand went through the bag. As you can imagine, it was a somewhat revolting experience. And it was that moment that I thought, I need to shift my thinking on where I want to work because Mm -hmm. I'm not here. And uh, there was a co-op program that got me into, that offered actually uh, the possibility of working in all kinds of different fields. And I was like, you know what? Uh, Stable job, clean, you know, I can dress up a little bit. And I thought, you know, I'll work at the bank. So from that, I worked at a couple banks. I worked at Royal Trust before they were merged with or bought by RBC. Uh, I worked for Bank of Montreal for a couple of years in the summer. And then when I went to university, I got hired by Royal Bank. And there I started off as, you know, many people do in the branch retail world. And I probably spent about six years in the retail world doing a number of roles. And then I transitioned into head office after finishing university. And that's where I got my taste of project management. My thought was, oh, some good skills. I'll learn some things and then I'll like branch out. But like so many jobs and companies, you start to feel the progression and the draw and you also with some of the companies, you kind of get siloed and it's like, oh, you're a project guy. So you start expanding. Okay, well, what are the different roles? And RBC was great to me in the 23 years I was there. Um, I probably had about 17 or 18 different roles. Anything from a part-time teller to managing a branch, doing investments and mortgages into head office as a business analyst, a BSA, QA lead, project manager, program manager. I've worked in insurance, investing, retail. So a lot of great exposure, a lot of great support, and really helped me sort of explore, even if it was sort of within the project management world, explore a lot of the organization, which really helped me sort of form who I am today. Great stuff, man. A lot of times when I talk to people who have been employed with the same company for that many years, their experience is somewhat siloed. But it seems like the experience that you have has has actually created a wealth of new opportunities for you. Um, Not only from the financial services stack, but also in, in elevating business and leadership and even elevating your own career. You've done a great job at accelerating and you've been able to really grow within the same company. It's amazing. Uh, You know, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to some of the managers I had. I mean, we all have managers that we don't see eye to eye with, we don't get on with, but I've been lucky to have a few that really have pushed me, helped me move into other areas, given me like major, major programs that actually span lines of businesses. So something as simple as e-statements and e-signatures. I mean, implementing e-signatures has, you know, a client impact 
an internal impact and it doesn't care what line of business or product it is. You have to do it for all things everywhere yeah. you can. So really had a lot of support, which was great and encouragement, not even in just, you know, moving to different areas or being given different assignments, but even in education, you know, it was due to one of those managers that I ended up doing my MBA. It was never really on my radar, but he was like, you know what, you need this. I would like you to have this and this will help you. And he wasn't wrong. It's amazing. That's amazing. Perfect. Aaron, every coach has a different story of how they were first introduced to Agile. There's always something that made it attractive to them or made them choose this over another. What's your story? How did you first get introduced to the world of Agile? Yeah, I don't know if it's a very exciting story by any stretch. So I was, you know, heavy into project management and program management. And, you know, they have various conferences in Canada, US, but there was one particular in Toronto that happened every year called Project World. And that's where as a, a project manager or a business analyst, you go in, you get your, you know, you attend the conference for however many days and you collect your PDUs. Mm -hmm. So after a while, I'm not going to lie, some of the content gets stale. When you go year after year after year, you're hearing some of the same stuff. And although Agile, you know, was formally written down and became something in 2001, I actually didn't discover it until 2010. I really had my head down in learning all kinds of different roles from QA and BSA into program and project management. So I was growing that piece of me. Yeah, I signed up for Project World and all the classes and courses and keynotes and everything were pretty much the same, except for this one called Scrum Master. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, all right, well, let me sign up for that. And probably within about the first 30 minutes, I'm like, oh, no way. Like, this is why I've had so many challenges as a project manager and program manager, because I'm constantly challenging the status quo. I'm pushing back. I'm a pain in the ass to deal with. This is <laughs> I'm an agile person. Like, now it all makes sense. So, yeah, that really sort of resonated with me and who I was and my own personal value set. So, honestly, immediately upon that, I came back to work and I started constructing where could we do some pilots of this and putting together, all right, what are the list of concerns that everybody's going to have? What are the risks everybody's thinking about? And trying to find short and long-term ways to manage them. And put this together, introduced to my boss. My boss is like, my God, I love this. This is great. Yes, I'm on board. She was familiar with Agile, but not a ton of experience. And then we took it up to the executive, and that's when I learned about the change and your audience, and also that I wasn't as effective with senior leadership as I thought I was. Wasn't quite the salesman I thought I was. Did my presentation, and honestly, there was like slow clapping, there was nods, and a resounding, no, we aren't going to do it. So I worked it for about a year or so, and then I actually left the bank and did some traveling. So for that time period, I really, really was trying to wrap my head around it and understand it and learn more. That's, that's how I got into Agile. 
how I got into practicing it and starting to lead some of these transformations uh, or pilots or skunk works or whatever you want to call them is actually when I came back from my travels, turned out the banks were ready at that time in Canada. And basically within a couple months of coming back, my boss slid it across the desk and she's like, so that agile thing, yeah, do something, do it, make it happen, anything. So, and that's really how I, I jumped in. All right, well, that's good. We're so glad that you discovered it because I'm sure there are a lot of people who have benefited from what you've talked them over the years from that discovery. And we talked about this earlier and I found it so fascinating the different places you've been to. You actually took some time off and got a chance to see the world up close and personal. Can you share some of that story with us? All right. You may regret asking me because like I could talk travel for days. <laughs> um, so I'd always wanted to travel and honestly hadn't done a lot of it. You know, back when I was a teenager, I think I went with my my mom and godfather to London, England and uh, Northern England for a little while, but really not done much. Not even like the sunny weather destinations. I did Mexico once, but like nothing else in the Caribbean or, or much of anything. So my ex-wife, she was my wife at the time, we were sitting in our backyard. It was a nice late summer day and having a glass of wine. And honestly, out of the blue, she just turns to me and she's like, want to move to Mexico? And we'd never had a conversation about moving anywhere. So I didn't respond for well, probably about three, four minutes. I just sat there kind of nodding my head sipping my red wine and finally I turned around to her and I said sure yeah let's go and I think she was more stunned at my response than I was at her question but we sat down and we actually started to talk about this and you know much as what you're saying you know you get into the the societal concept of how life is supposed to be and what the definitions of success are. And, you know, yeah, your family influences it, your friend and stuff, and you start to mold your own. And you can just sort of fall into that routine. And one of the things that we'd realized is the limited exposure that we had to people and places. So how do we know we're living where we want to live and doing what we want to do until we've seen something else? Now, we took a bit of a dramatic approach to this, which I can honestly say our family and friends were split 50-50 between you're nuts and you're brave, amazing. And uh, we sold everything we had. So we had a house in a lovely area in Toronto called The Beach or The Beaches. There's an argument over that. We had, you know, the dog, the the house, the car. We had... You know, she was working on contract at the university as a professor. I was, you know, at RBC for many, many years. So by all intents and purposes, had the jobs, like everything was beautiful, right? It's perfect. And we sold it all. The house, the furniture, the car. And part of it was to untether ourselves for the experience. Because there wasn't that nice, easy, comfy fallback. Now, in hindsight, knowing the mortgage and uh, housing market in Toronto. I wish we had been able to keep the house, but we also needed some of the money there to enable our, our travels. 
So the Mexico idea went by the wayside, and that was really because we wanted to explore a lot more. We decided it wasn't just going somewhere and staying there. It was about exploring as much as we could. So we bought a one-way ticket to Portugal, and that's where we started. We had reduced our lives to basically a large backpack on the back and a smaller one on the front each. And we went. And other than a couple of weeks in Southern Portugal, which we booked a place to stay, we didn't have plans. I took a one-year sabbatical and the thought honestly was maybe we'll travel for six months or maybe a year. So we did some traveling uh, around Europe. We even got to Southern Spain at one point and decided let's live here for a little bit and actually experience it. So we stayed there for about nine weeks. Wow. Uh, it's supposed to be three days. <laughs> And uh, we had one thing that we wanted to do, which was walk the Camino de Santiago, which is an old pilgrimage from the common starting point is this cutest little village in uh, southern France called Saint-Jean-Bied-de-Port. And you walk roughly 910 kilometers across Spain. And so we did that. And that really provided a a crazy amount of self-reflection because you're spending eight 10 hours, whatever, a day walking, you know, sometimes, and this may not be as meaningful for Americans, but you can translate it uh, anywhere between 20 and 40 kilometers a day. We did that, continued to travel around. We found a a family uh, that had a hobby farm in France. So we ended up living there for nine weeks with them. And basically for room and board, we worked on their, their property to help do things that the the mother couldn't do on her own. Um, And they became our adopted family and basically our hub. So as we traveled around, we were able to always go back to the farm and we were always welcome there. So we did that, ended up living in Thailand for about six months. I decided to teach English. We had both armed ourselves with teaching certificates just in case. During that, that I actually quit, finished my one-year sabbatical. Uh, or I was coming up to it and decided to continue to travel. So lived there. I had 991 students every week. Wow. 991 students every week. 23 classes. Average was probably around 45, 46 students per class every week. Oh, man. Four, five, and six. It was an experience (sighs) that I wouldn't really want to repeat, and I will also never forget. The, (laughs) The amount of growth you get from dealing with that many kids Mm, mm -hmm. who don't speak your language naturally. And most of them have no interest in learning your language. There's a small subset was fascinating. The culture of what it's like to be in a school system in in Asia and Thailand. uh, I mean, it all, it was just constant learning every moment of it. Yeah. Then continued to travel around Cambodia for about a month and then came back and did some more traveling in Europe Total time away was about 27 months. A total number of countries visited was about 30. Wow. Total kilometers walked because I did the Camino again and I did other trails and treks in central Turkey. I spent a couple months in Turkey and just that's how I typically explored cities and countrysides. My rough estimate is somewhere around 17,000 kilometers walked. And probably about 15,000 photographs taken. So it was a heck of a journey, but it allowed me to have conversations about religion, 
economics, life and society with so many people. I mean, learning about the Quran, um, talking to, you know, and having in-depth discussions with Buddhist monks, sitting down and really talking about Catholicism with Polish Catholics. Like there were, there were so many opportunities to talk religion and life and, and the implications of it that it was, yeah, probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. And frankly, I wish I'd done it about 25 years earlier. What an amazing journey, man. That is amazing. <laughs> now, now I have this insane love for travel. And when I get to any new place, the first thing I do is find any local that will talk to me have a chat, have some local food, find some local places, have a local drink to try and experience something beyond just the touristy. Not that there's anything wrong with it, mm -hmm. um, but those things are likely going to live and be there. Whereas connecting with a local and learning a little bit more about what they do, what they eat, and where they go, that kind of stuff is really important. And it's resulted, I have one bucket list item and that is to visit as many countries as years I've been alive. So if I can keep up that number, which the pandemic has not assisted me in this, and yes. I'm now a little bit behind, but that, that's my goal. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's fascinating and I love to continue with it. Wow, thanks so much for sharing that with us. <laughs> for me, vacation is a swim up bar and an all you can eat buffet. But being able to explore and experience culture and learn about the lives of people, it's really enriching. So thanks for sharing that. You know, I want to be like you, man. <laughs> you don't. It, I've slept on park benches in Paris because I couldn't find accommodation. I had a hammock that I bought in Thailand that I've used on hikes and to sleep in a variety of places because I couldn't get accommodation or things weren't open. It's not, it's not for everybody, but I was traveling on a really hard budget. Like I was, when we first started out, we were actually traveling on 58 euros a day for the two of us for food and accommodation. So obviously, you know, staying at hostels and stuff right. and don't get me wrong. I love like, you know, a local high-end spa or a week in a sunny place with, you know, you don't have to worry about food or anything. I love that as much as the next person. But one of the things that I realized I was missing was truly understanding and experiencing some of the things that those cultures have to offer. So I always try and much to my wife's chagrin, wandering through streets. And we always end up in some areas that you may not necessarily want to go as a tourist. But, you know, for me, that's part of the experience. And I, I really enjoy doing that. Amazing. Okay, let's jump back into the business world. Now, you've served the financial services market for the vast majority of your career. Blending all of your various experiences together, you've learned some things that can be done better in the industry. And you know how they work with small companies or, or how they transform themselves into better ways of working. In your opinion, how can the financial services industry leverage agile ways of working even better? It is a challenge, right? It, you think about these massive banks and whether you're talking in the States like Capital One or you're talking Canada like TD or RBC, they have very well-developed relationships and connections with much larger consulting firms, whether it's the Deloitte's or BCG's or Accenture's, etc. So as a small business consultant, it, it is a bit more challenging for sure. 
Um, what I find is, is the networks that particularly for myself, as I have experience, building those networks is paramount if you have any intention of moving into a small business. Um, I mean, honestly, you should probably be doing it anyway, because even from a career advancement perspective, it's going to be pretty handy and useful, but even more so as a small business, because that's the network that you want to leverage. Getting a platform, getting that exposure as you're starting your smaller company is imperative. Building your network outside of that company is that next step. Right, because there's a difference between small business consulting and small business contracting. Yes, and I've I've done a bit of both. I'm still sort of new in this area, um, and the contracts are great because they add a certain level of stability. The consulting is where the really good stuff is because that's when you can get into weeds that normally you're not allowed in. So when it comes to the big companies, personally, I think it one of the things that's starting to work for me is not just the relationship with the organization, but the relationship with other consulting firms. Because much like Adaptivate and Tribe, there's a relationship there. And subcontracting is really important. When it comes to even other independents who are in the same field, so Agile is great for this because there are a lot of independents. Very quickly, a lot of folks that worked for companies or you know, had been involved in sort of the agile space at the very early days or even before agile was legitimately a thing. These people have spun off and started a number of things, whether it's training or their own consulting. And some of them have chosen to keep it very small, but the work they do still requires some additional hands. So building your network through these individuals is very useful as well for that, again, sort of subcontracting gig. It's life these days, right? It very much comes down to the networks, but really being cognizant of how many different types of networks there are. Like LinkedIn is a tool that can get you to some of these, but it's not the network. Yes. So it's finding out who these people are. And then building as many bridges as you can. So, you know, how I got linked with my last contract was I had previously worked at TD, made a relationship, went independent, reached out to her. And she's like, actually, I've got something coming up. I was like, great, let's talk, you know, and getting those networks working for you. Well, it's not headhunting per se, it's introductions to continue to build that network. And, you know, some people are hyperactive building these out. I don't know if that's necessary. It's more important to me that the quality is there. So it's great to have 750,000 people on your LinkedIn, but you can't actually talk to that many people. So you have to choose just like, you know, all these social platforms, right. And figure out which ones you want to establish and build up and don't be afraid to reach out, you know, just a friendly, Hey, what's going on? Because Everyone has lots of people in their networks and folks that they've worked with. And sometimes you just don't come to mind and it's not a slant against you. So you just have to reach out and be like, hey, how's it going? It never hurts. Good advice. Thank you for sharing that. Aaron, what's next for you and Fox Den Consulting? Where do you see things going to in the future and where do you want to go next? Yeah, 
So Foxton was sort of born from recently hopping around. So we, we talked about, you know, spending 23 years at RPC, a good chunk of my career, and then getting involved in Agile and really pushing forth these transformations. And there's the politics and the challenges that you inherently have in a large company, but trying to encourage the change within these organizations, right? And support it. And so I started moving around looking for that opportunity where I could really make a difference. And I was finding it challenging to get the correct position and it be supported in order to make that change. So that's when I decided, and I guess this is a shout out to consultants out there. Typically when you come in as a consultant, you have a slightly different voice and they, the people that bring you in look at you in a slightly different way than they do internal employees. They shouldn't, you know, all voices should have equal airtime, but inherently you've got politics and a number of other things that come into play there. And hierarchy is a natural one of those. So I decided to shift into the consulting. So Fox then arose because uh, it happens to be one of my favorite uh, creatures. And I liked the sort of the concept of it coming out of and emerging out of the den. So my logo is a fox that's sitting in front of this black hole of a den. And it's really sort of that emergence out into the light. You know, you might find that safety and security in the den, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you can't stay there. You have to come out. And so it's a, a, a way for me to bring in a couple things that were meaningful and you know, in a graphical representation. And my goal is to right now start to continue building up my own experience in these agile transformations, hopefully providing a lot of expertise in those areas, pitfalls, things that I've seen, things we can avoid. But what I want to do is I want to grow the consulting portion of the business in two ways. One, I'll say full service transformative work and change work, probably targeting more of the small and mid-sized companies, because I think that market is quite underserved. From a leadership coaching and consulting, looking towards the larger companies. So these big financial companies that they bring in a lot of consultant groups that you know are able to do some of this and take it to a certain point. But then to be able to come in and continue that consulting and driving the change, actually holding the hand, taking it through, hopefully, till it becomes a reflexive behavior, uh, as opposed to one that they're kind of fighting with. That's one of the things that I think I can do because there's still consulting, there is the coaching. As I mentioned, getting into some of the larger companies as a small business consultant straight up can be challenging. If you've got oh. the in and work, okay. If not, you might be able to join as a subcontractor. But again, we want to be able to carry things further. And I think that's where Fox then can help come in and do things where you don't have the big $5 million engagement, but you have a very targeted, hey, we've got this executive suite. We really want to push them to the next level. So they are the servant leader that the organization needs. That's where I think I can really play a key part. So that's where I'm targeting for Fox and small, mid-size and 
honestly, any executive leadership coaching because it's also underserved. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Well, that's a great path forward. You've got a great plan. I'm so glad we met. You know, that's exactly what we're trying to do with Tribe. We want to connect with people just like yourself who are, are building and accelerating agile ways of working. You know, I think we're going to discover some things that we can do together in the future. And I'm really excited about that. Um, thanks so much. Yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to it, Ray. It's been fantastic getting to know you and learning more about Tribe. And I really look forward to an opportunity to work together soon, I hope. Very good. Aaron, it's been a fantastic conversation. We've learned so much about your growth and the many experiences that you've had in and outside of the workplace. Uh, I hope there's a book in your future and I hope it's got some photographs from all these different places you've been. I'd love to see it and hear more about these different um, travels and, and people you've met. God, what an amazing path and growth. It's funny you mentioned that. It, it's one of the things that I did is sort of keep a little journal of sorts, day-to-day -day anecdotes, and maybe one day. Uh, I don't know if that's part of the what's next for Aaron, but uh, it, it's definitely there. Maybe retirement, maybe before. I don't know if it'll be very interesting, but you know, if nothing else, I'm sure it'll be a cathartic thing just to even share some of that information. And in the photographs, I mean, we saw some pretty cool stuff, not gonna lie. I think you're gonna be amazed with just how inspiring your story really is. And, and how many people will resonate with the idea of just selling everything, moving across country, moving out of the country, and, and just starting over. I, I've done it a few times myself. I love it. I'm, I'm not afraid of it. It's, it's nothing for us to, to pick up and, and relocate and, and do this. And it's amazing for me to meet someone else who's done the same. Um, I can't wait to hear from you again. As always, thank you for joining us. I hope this conversation inspired you. If it did, hit the subscribe button. Share this with your network and the people who think just like you do. Together, we will build the tribe of the future. I'm D. Ray Freeman. We'll see you next time. <laughs>